Welcome to Rise to Offend, a podcast that exhorts people who rose to offend in society and their legacy today. I'm your host, Petra Speich, and this week we are doing part one of three on Chuck Schuldiner, one of the most important figures in the history of heavy metal music. He would be often tagged as the godfather of death metal, despite not being fond of that title. It would unfortunately stick to him. As the founder and mastermind behind the Florida-based band Death, he would leave an imprint across the musical landscape of the world that's legacy would inspire a genre eternally. Born Charles Michael Schuldiner on May 13, 1967 on Long Island, New York, his family would quickly relocate to the environment that would eventually bring the birth of one of America's most extreme scenes in music. Very, very down to earth, uh, family uh, oriented uh, home type person. You know, I like doing simple things. I like going to the beach, having a good time, barbecuing, you know, playing with our cats and dogs, you know, things that everyone pretty much enjoys doing. You know, I enjoy a very normal lifestyle. Um, it's nothing outrageous, no wild parties. I'm pretty mellow and, you know, it's just, I like staying apart staying a part of the normal side of life and that's what it is to me normal things you know uh doing things with my friends and family and just being a normal person because the, the music business is not normal and you need a break and you have got to separate the two because there's a point in my life where they were getting mixed and it's it's not a good thing you know it's not a good thing at all to mix uh to get the your anger and against the business evolves into your life. You know, you really have to keep them separate. And it's hard to at times. Definitely. And joining me this week, Brandon Guchon and Sylvia Alvarado. Chuck Schuldiner would be born on May 13, 1967 in Long Island, New York, to parents Maul and Jane Schuldiner. The youngest of three siblings, he would be joining his big brother Frank and big sister Beth Ann. Chuck's father was a second-generation Austrian immigrant who practiced Judaism, and his mother Jane was an American girl from the South with a Christian background. Jane would convert to Judaism, but has stated that religion was never forced on the children, although the teachings of both were present. They would expose them to both practices, especially when it came to the holidays, exposing them to both worlds. Do you include Satanism in your music itself? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. I'm, I really don't want to involve any type of uh, religious theme in our music, you know, I think that's something that's more of a personal thing. But yeah, I'm not a Satanist and I definitely don't put that into our music, no purpose. I was really, I've never been into writing Satanic lyrics at all, personally. Um, we did write gore lyrics, but it's more like kind of tongue-in-cheek, horror movie type level, you know, nothing encouraging people to go out and hurt themselves or anything stupid like that. It's pure kind of like fantasy movie type, you know, scary stuff. And uh, then I just really got into writing about reality, which is what we all have to deal with. By the age of one years old, Mal and Jane would move the family to a mostly undeveloped and rural suburb in Orlando, Florida. His parents, both being teachers, would be able to relocate and find work easily and with Maul being a big fan of boating and tennis, Jane would easily convince him to move to the cheaper and warm climate from Long Island, New York. Chuck's childhood would flourish in this environment, and he is often described as a cheerful and good-natured child. According to his mother Jane, in a Guitar World article from 2008, she stated the following, The kids grew up in a leave-it-to-beaver-type environment. Chuck and his brother Frank and sister Beth grew up playing in those woods, building forts in the trees and seeing quite a lot of wildlife there also. Chuck and Frank, his brother, camped out in the backyard with flashlights and snacks lots of times, and there were many of the children in the neighborhood at the house most days. The early family life for Chuck was very good, and a tight-knit family would make Chuck a strong, confident kid as he grew up. His sister and brother Frank would be very close to him, and they would read to him, watch cartoons together, and have adventures daily, creating a very close bond. But you having, uh, when, when you first, when you then got a band named Death, mm -hmm. then that sort of coined the term. That's probably another reason why. It's not just what you were doing, but the fact that you called it something. Right, it's a pretty brutal name, definitely. Uh, at the time, I wanted something, you know, extreme, something brutal, shocking, to go along with the music, you know, and uh, 
now I would probably call it something different, but it's kind of mm -hmm. stuck with us. And, you know, it's just a name, and I hope people really don't get a wrong impression that we're, like, anti-life, because, you know. They do, though. People yeah, do get that impression right. all the time, like, not just uh, parents, but other people that listen to heavy metal that won't listen to death metal. Right. They just think, oh, what's that stuff? Yeah, it's a drag. Hopefully they'll read the lyrics and realize I'm saying something that maybe they can relate to or something. You know, I have a lot of songs that I think a lot of people can relate to. What benefits does a happy childhood have for a creative type of person? Well, I mean, obviously, if you're in a happy environment, you're going to be encouraged to be creative. Uh, I'm sure he drew a bunch of pictures or, hey, look what I did. Look what I can do. And his mom's like, yep, that's great. The worst thing you could do is just shut someone down when you see somebody, especially a child. The worst thing you could do is shut, shut a child down when they're like singing a song and then you just look at it. Hey, stop. You can't sing. You sound awful. Like, you know, That's you gotta fuck up their, yeah, uh, their you know, self-esteem. Yeah, you know, and it's especially when you were talking about a groundbreaking artist, you kind of need that in your corner. Now, granted, there are other artists that just do the exact opposite. Everybody told me they were awful and they just still flourished. But this guy right here at least had some support. It's a different type of energy you're going to put out. I think, uh, you know, going off by what you're saying, uh, having all that positivity thrown at you, he's like, yeah, I can do this. Whatever I set my mind to, like, to, I can do it. To me, I'm a very positive person towards life, towards friendship, towards love, towards, you know, all certain things that, that we're made up as, as being human. There's a difference in mindset between having a, a positive surroundings and then making you feel confident. And the other mindset is, is all these motherfuckers are wrong. I'm right. And then mm -hmm. now you have, now you just have these negative fuel pushing you in a, in a different direction. I feel most creative types have a chip on their shoulder. Something they're trying to prove to themselves, especially in like extreme music, right? Something they're trying to prove to themselves, something they're trying to prove to the scene, something they're trying to prove to the world, right? I feel like there's a lot of that where people have a chip on their shoulder. It's, it's kind of refreshing to hear the environment he grew up in at this point, you know? And you, you got to ask yourself like, all right, well, was it just for the love of a craft almost at this stage in his life, you know? And I think when you're doing it for the love of the craft, I just think that the joy will always be there. The joy will always remain. I have no idea. I remember people said Metallica were noise and crap and would go nowhere. And they're huge. And yes, in my opinion, recently they have kind of gone into the mainstream approach uh, when it wasn't fully needed. But um, you know, I want to continue being sincere, not going backwards, becoming less technical, and, you know, I want to just keep moving forward and, and have a record each time around where people can say, wow, you know, that's a lot uh, different in a way from their last album, but still be the same, you know what I mean? Yeah. Have a fresh approach, but at the same time have it where someone can put it on and they can say, that's death except a lot better. I, I hope each album's better. Definitely. That's our goal. Now, Chuck's love for music would happen at a very young age, and he would be heavily influenced by his older brother, Frank. Their favorite band would be that of Kiss. Here is a quote from Chuck when asked about his favorite band in a Metal Hammer article in 1993. Kiss is my all-time favorite band. You know, I've been thinking about it the other day. I was talking to some friends about what we'd do if we ran into Gene or Paul. I guess I'd ask them a lots of questions about the past, like what or who inspired you to sing the way you do. Gene was too brutal for the 70s. larger-than-life personality of rock and roll would infect the brothers as they shared and celebrated it together with Judas Priest coming into their lives. The two would be inseparable, and then tragedy would hit their family. At the age of 16 years old, Frank would pass away from being in a fatal car accident, and Chuck, at nine years old, would see his perfect, happy life hit with tragedy.
impact can the death of Chuck's older brother and best friend do to his world and family at the age of nine years old? I think at that point you are introduced to, oh, nothing is perfect. Nothing is, there's pain out there. There's, there's suffering out there. So I think it's just a, a reality check almost. I think that when you start off as a team and especially when your leader, I mean, he's the bigger brother by six, seven years, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's his, that's his, his hero. Um, you start off as a team and when that other person leaves, I think there is a responsibility that falls on the, the person that's still alive to carry on that legacy for the both of you. Um, you're not just doing it for, you're not just doing it for your own ego. You're doing it for his memory. And when you are especially introducing something so new to the world, like death metal was, or the band itself, uh, you know, you, you are going to have that. You are going to, because you have been doing it for so long. Now, again, nine years old, he ended up realizing I'm all on my own at nine years old. I mean, and, and you know, and the, and the environment can be as positive as it wants, but once that tragedy hits at such a young age, it I mean, you, you learn a lot. Yeah. It changes the whole environment. Mm-hmm. Like you can be the mother, you can be the father, the sister, you know, like, like there is a, it's like a, it's like a table. If there's four legs to a table and you take one out, it's still standing if you hold it the right way yeah but if i put a glass on the corner it's over it's falling mm-hmm. it's breaking yeah and and when i was talking about earlier like a chip on his shoulder this can represent that in a lot of ways like he can always have that you know in the back of his head you know about his brother you want your own way all the time is right. uh, have you changed a little bit of that respect well i guess i mean then people could say about ozzy and richie blackmore a lot of other people that have a vision and that unfortunately or for whatever reasons they have lineup problems I'm a person that has lineup problems, and it really should not affect people's views on me as a person. I think they should be just happy that there's good metal coming out, because that's all I care about with the band. Now, consumed with grief, his parents would try and find an outlet for Chuck, and would end up buying him an acoustic guitar that he can carry around with him. They would get him lessons in classical guitar playing, and they recall him learning Mary Had a Little Lamb. But the receptiveness was just boring, so he would stop playing. But then, his father went to a yard sale and saw an electric guitar. He ended up buying it, and this time, not paying anyone to give Chuck lessons, Chuck would immediately take to this instrument. The guitar in the garage would be Chuck's sanctuary, and his influences in the new wave of British heavy metal from bands like Iron Maiden would start to catch his ear. He was fans of all types of music as well, and would listen to a lot of classical jazz, and one of his favorite acts at the time would be British post-punk icons, Joy Division. of 10 to 13 chuck replaced his brother with an electric guitar and love for music do you think this instrument was important for grieving or taught him to love isolation i think it's it's it was incredibly important for the grieving aspect for him because people grieve differently so i'm going to use this the sadness to make art to honor my brother's memory um i just i was lucky and found out about underground metal just by just by chance uh, I got into the underground you know there was a record shop that carried kick-ass monthly or metal forces you know and I got the second issue with Dio on the cover <laughs> you know the one and of that from there on it just set me into uh, the underground metal scene which is one of the most incredible things uh, to be part of if you're into a metal or rock or anything is, is a really special movement. When you fall into depression and you fall into you know, a dark place, it's highly important for you to find something to just focus on that will take your mind off of whatever that pain is. In this situation, it's guitar. And look, learning guitar is a very tedious thing. It's a very tedious thing. So the, the little... 
Like you really have to love it. Let me go back. Exactly. And he really loves this. And I don't necessarily think he was even thinking about grieving. I don't think he was even thinking about his brother. I just think that this was a complete escape. And, you know, and that's probably why he dedicated himself to so many hours in that, in that, in that garage, because it's like, it is the one thing that kept his mind so busy that he didn't have to, he didn't have to think about the past. Well, you've said that you don't want to be lumped in with the other uh, sort of death metal bands. Why is that? I just, <laughs> I'm not going to name anyone, but I think in all types of music, you know, when something gets real big, it tends to get out of control. I think some bands are out of control with what they're doing. They just don't realize what they're doing. You know, a lot of things are hurting this music. It's giving people an excuse to kind of say, wait, this is a bit extreme. You know, we need to do something. You know, I just, I'm tired of that, you know, the negative vibe, you know. And when he had a teacher, he wasn't into it. Mm-hmm. He was like, no, I don't want nothing to do with this, you know. But the second he was like, all right, I can teach myself. I can be isolated. I'm in full control. I don't have to listen to anybody right now. Because you got to understand when that happens to someone, they're not going to feel like they can relate to any other nine-year-old. He right. grew up, that, that grows you up fast. Yeah. You lose in your big brother. You're, you're now, you know, a very mature kid for nine years old because something real happened, something so real that it changes you forever. And so not having to talk about his feelings, not having to, to look, you know, inward or, or see the faces of people that are like, I'm so sorry, the thoughts and prayers and stuff like that. And being able to go find something and make noise in your head and shut it off, um, without an instructor, all that stuff I think was necessary for him. I think he needed isolation. I think when he didn't have his best friend anymore, Again, this is all speculation. I think when he didn't have his best friend anymore, he he was like, well, this guitar can't hurt me. It'll always be here when I'm here, right? It's not going to die. It's not going to die. If it dies, I can go get another, you know, chord and we're good. And I think that he protected himself because of how how much that hurt him. Well, I I like to think that we're taking it to a new level each record. I want to stay musical and put in my influences, which um, are uh, have to do with a lot of melodic bands. Uh, anything from, uh, you know, Merciful Fate, King Diamond, to, uh, you know, a lot of bands, uh, Watchtower, you know, um, Queensryche, uh, a lot of old heavier stuff like Possess. You know, I mean, I'm trying to incorporate all my personal tastes, influences and stuff, you know, and let them come out. I'm not into holding back, trying to live up to a certain reputation of being the heaviest. You know, I'm not out for that. You know, I'm into a lot of different types of music. And on top of that, too, when you're playing guitar, when you're learning anything, computer coding, keyboard, Madden, it's like there's little things that you 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 learn, and they're a victory. Little victories mm-hmm. mean the world. Just going from a G chord to a C chord is... It's, it's it, a purpose. You find your yeah, purpose. Being able to nail that consistently takes a long time, and when you do it, that is a little victory, and that helps you move towards the right direction, I believe. I, as far as people giving credit to death as being the inventors of this form of music, I can't go that far and accept that type of uh, comment. I would have to say bands like Venom, really truly the first to, to do this really, actually well, Motorhead also, because they were very raw and aggressive, but Venom, for this type of music, I think Venom would have to be one of the key bands, definitely. You know, and there are other bands that inspired me, such as Exciter and uh, Metallica when they first came out, Anvil. Merciful Fate, these bands really, you know, they weren't necessarily death metal, but they inspired what is today, you know. These were definitely key factors within the, the, the type of aggressive music and, you know, the underground in general. Because Chuck would play guitar all day in the garage, his parents would have to start setting rules in order for him to focus on other things. He was not allowed to go play the guitar on school days until the homework was complete. But on weekends, he would be in the garage practicing and mastering the instrument self-taught besides a small foray with the classical acoustic teacher. By 1981, when he heard Venom and the style of guitarist Jeffrey Mantis Dunn on their debut record, Welcome to Hell, he would soon start to search for the most brutal, dark riffs and start to find heavier influences in the underground tape trading circuit of the early 1980s.
Now, tape trading in the early 1980s would spawn a deep search through the mail from different parts of the world for bands that would not be able to get signed. It relied heavily on finding pen pals through the mail and recording from cassette tape to cassette tape to hear bands otherwise not in the region. This would spawn cult followings for many bands. The most famous band that got their following in the underground would be Metallica, whose 1982 demo tape, No Life Till Leather, would be heavily copied and passed around the globe. And this tape would also be a major influence of Chuck's musical style. What is the connection between a fan base of heavy music and participating in the undergrounding tape trading movement? Well, number one, heavy metal. I mean, number one, heavy metal music is underground. So you're already in the underground. There's people in the underground that are looking at you. And especially if they've seen you play, they recognize that they know you're one of them. And then the only way it's going to work. So, so you so now the underground has seen you and then underground is all word of mouth. Hey, Here's a band you've never heard of. Is it corporate? Is it the sh- bullshit I'm hearing on the radio? No, bro, it's brutal. Then it's extreme. G- yes, yeah. give it to me, and they want it. And and especially, dude. And again, like that's where that's where these genres and stuff are so important because you know how many people were like him that didn't that felt like they didn't fit in. This this music comes along, and and they just give you a purpose. They give you they give you a scene, and they let you know that you're not alone. You know, we set out playing this, and we're just not going to change. Yeah. Because, I mean, you know, it's going dis- to disappoint a lot of people if you start out brutal and then go limpy. Because look like, what happened yeah. Celtic Frost. Yeah. yeah. Perfect <laughs> Insider. Plenty of bands do No, it's worse. You listen to Apocalyptic Grey TP from Hell Amber and Angliston. That stupid new and glam dad. Girls and nails to get Orchards and Terry Orchards. Yeah. There's just no need. Either be heavy or be wimpy. Just <clears throat> be one of the two. You know, we prefer heavy. And you get to see your friends and be like, look what I got. And you get to, like baseball cards, tape trading, right? Mm-hmm. You get to trade these things and be like, no, no, this is more extreme. No, this is better. Who's this from? This is from Swiss. This is from Sweden. This is from Japan. You know, and they're sending this and it's just dub after dub after dub. Uh, uh, copyright issues out the window. Doesn't matter. But like, it's just like any form of when people desire something that's not being force fed to them. And I don't know if modern society yeah. would even relate to this. The search to actually write and send in the mail and then come back and be like, wow, and then have something to show your group of friends or other people that makes you not just love the genre. It makes you feel like you're truly a part of it. You're well, truly like a shot caller in the, hey, I don't, have, I'm, I don't work for a record label, but guess what I'm pimping out? Metallica? So uh, would, would, would both of you guys agree, since hard rock has kind of become mainstream and you've got bands like Metallica being played on every radio station, that death metal is the only true rebellion side of rock and roll, rebellious side? I think it's just going to be like how Metallica was. I remember when Metallica was like the outcast type of music, type of band. It's an evolution, and people are going to be looking for heavier stuff. And there's definitely a lot of bands out there to supply the metal needs that people are, you know, out there demanding. I mean, like you said, a lot of people write in, they want to hear heavy stuff. Well, this is, I think, the next uh, generation, definitely. And, uh, you know, we're all very psyched, definitely. Anytime you put effort into something, uh, you're definitely going to give it more the benefit of the doubt. Like, for example... More meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, I'll never forget, this is just a, such a side thing. Uh, when I was a kid, I was like eight, nine years old, and the McDonald's was like miles away. Mm-hmm. So me and my buddy, we got on our bikes, we rode like fucking eight miles to this McDonald's, and we got a couple of cheeseburgers. And I got to tell you, those cheeseburgers were so good. I was a grown-up. I had to earn that hamburger. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens here, where it's like society is telling you that, uh, you know, here's what's good. Billy Jean, Madonna, you know, uh, Culture Club. This is what you need to like. And disco it, at the disco, time. Disco, yeah. yeah, yeah. And this is this is what you should be liking. And then meanwhile, if you're like that, you're like, what are you talking about? You come across a, a band like Venom, and you're like, this is what I've been 
hoping to come across my entire life. Like now, this all is of what a sudden, I needed. Yeah. Now all of a sudden you have a calling and now you and your friends are part of an exclusive group. And that's the best part about the tape trading and this thing. It's like the exclusivity, you know, Oh, you fucking poser. Oh, you trendy asshole. Like mm -hmm. that's all those guys were, you know what I mean? Like if you were going along with what everybody was telling you, these, this was the counterculture that was going like, eh, I don't necessarily buy into that. And the funny thing is though, is fast forward to 2021, the counterculture is the culture. You know, Florida's cool to live in, but as far as stuff to do, there's really not much. Especially in this type of music. Yeah, it's kind of hard. Now, Chuck would discover some of his major influences through the tape trading world early by 1983. And some of the bands would include obscure French band Sorta Liege. Gabriel Fisher's vocal style from Swiss band Hellhammer and also cinematically he would st also start to dive into the darker fare moving into horror films as his cinematic choice. A huge fan of Mike Hodge's 1980 film Flash Gordon a year later he would be worshipping Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. I fear that the only way to stop those possessed by the spirits of the book is through the act of bodily dismemberment. I don't care what happens to her. She's your girlfriend. You take care of her. Chuck's confidence in himself was part of his stable life and close family bond growing up. So as he took from other art forms during his teenage years and other artists for inspiration, this was a form of letting people know his influences and what he loved. But his necessity of it being original was a key component and this would define his need for control in his project at a very early age. <laughs> By 1983, the vision that would be death would be a reality, as Chuck would form Mantis, spelled the same way as the Venom guitar player's moniker. And that band would feature Chuck's close friend at the time, Rick Roz, and on vocals and drums, Cam Lee. Death has been in existence from the Mantis days, which was early, late 83, as a matter of fact. Late 83, it started. Me and Rick with this old drummer who... His name doesn't need to be mentioned because he's worthless, but, you know, it's just we've been around for quite a while now. This incarnation of the band would change the name to Death that same year in 1983. Here is a statement based on a July 16, 2020 article on Loudwire.com and according to Schuldiner's future Control Denied bandmate, Tim Amer. Chuck took care of me after I experienced my own brother's death. Chuck got me to the airport and explained the story of his brother Frank and why he named his band Death in order to turn such a horrible, negative feeling into something positive. His mother also has stated that Chuck named his band Death in order to change the feeling of what he felt from Frank's death. 
at this point it's just a name and it's a name that definitely when I thought of it when I was 16 uh, is a lot you know the band's a lot different lyrics are a lot different you know more like movie oriented like gory type stuff which is cool for 86 and 85 and 84 and 83 and all that <laughs> and you have to move on and uh, I think the name definitely hinders the band to a certain point but at the same time people really dig it and hopefully they just take it as a name you know it's like Black Sabbath that's a very brutal name especially in 1972 or whenever 73 when they started yeah. so hopefully people can look at it that way Death is a band in 93 and Sabbath was also a brutal name in 72 and hopefully people can accept it because it's definitely not my view on life I mean I I enjoy living and I want to con continue to do so and yeah. you know so hopefully uh, people just take it as a name. Now, Death in 1983, featuring this lineup, would record 11 rehearsal tapes, four live tapes, four EPs that would all be distributed through tape, tape trading. And those EPs would be 1984's Death by Metal, Reign of Terror, then in 1985, Infernal Death, and Rigor Mortis. Also, the band would play their first show of the region, sparking Chuck's first live performance at the age of 15. What do you think was driving Chuck at this stage in his life as he was engulfed in the underground heavy metal world and now performing while in high school? I think he was probably the leader of, you know, we called him stoners in the 90s, but I mean, he's probably the leader of, of the metal kids, the hard rock kids. I mean, he's the only one playing guitar. He's the only one putting in the hours. So he's obviously the one that knows the most. I mean, I'm assuming, right? I mean, it's like you're talking about four, 15, 16 year olds. Like, not everybody's picking up a guitar. You know, it's not like it is today where it's like you could pick up a guitar and you got YouTube that could teach you how to do this shit. I mean, this guy's playing by ear. And there's, and asking any young person to have that kind of patience, it's, it's, it's difficult. Yeah, it's difficult. It just evolved out of five different demos until uh, April of 86. We recorded our fifth demo and we got signed finally to Combat Records. And uh, it took a lot of hard work because back in the early 80s, Florida was not a place for metal in general, any kind of metal. And uh, so it was very difficult getting the, the proper people to play with. And, uh, you know, so it took a long time. And uh, we're on our fifth record. And, you know, I plan, I don't plan on stopping here. I want to continue and, and uh, keep moving things forward, which is where I feel the new album is definitely taking us. And bringing, uh, naming the band Death after his brother's death, per se, and bringing life well, I back to, 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 in his mind, his legacy. I mean, he's going to take everything to do with this band personal. I think what ended up happening is, is he took his brother's passing and the strength he mustered up to pull himself back together as, uh, as like the focal point of this band naming the band death and, and, and making this, this whole idea, the, the, the fuel behind this band, the fuel projecting it for, or, or you know, pushing it forward, you know, it, it, it's part of him now. It's part of him now. <laughs> The hyper focus of the music was all Chuck cared about at this point, and school was slowly fading from any importance. Guitarist Rick Ross and drummer vocalist Cam Lee would drop out of high school 
and shortly after, Chuck would follow them. This would be surprising for many, especially his family, but they remained supportive. And Chuck told his mother that if he did not get signed to a record label within a year of pursuing his dream, he would return to finish to get his GED and go to college. His parents were accepting and supportive of this deal they made, but with the time crunch, Chuck started to branch out in many directions. Reality is far more brutal than a demon, uh, you know, tearing someone's heart out. I mean, that just does not happen in life. I see no demons around me. I see, I think, if there's evil, it's people. You know, there, there's cruel people out there. Uh, evil is real on earth, you know what I'm saying? And, and there's things to write about in life that I think people can relate to. I'd rather put an album out that someone can read a song and say, wow, yeah, I kind of think about that once in a while, or yeah, I feel that same way, or maybe not even feel the same way, but share the interest in the topic. Chuck was also someone who was very anti-hard drugs and heavy alcohol abuse, and this would start to separate him from the hard partying crowd. Chuck was pro-marijuana to calm himself down and okay with drinking when it did not get in the way of the responsibility of the band. And at his age, the emerging Florida scene was a hard partying scene, and this would cause conflicts. He would make a lineup change at the end of 1985, and Rick Ross would leave the band. And in that summer, Cam Lead Lee would continue on drums with new guitarist Matt Olivo and bassist and vocalist now Scott Carlson. <laughs> that summer, just three months, Lee would leave to join Rick Ross's new project, Massacre, and this version would disband after, after having issues finding a replacement for the drummer, Cam Lee. Chuck would start to gain a reputation of someone who was difficult to work with. But Chuck had a zero tolerance with hard drugs and anyone that brought that into his band. That's cool. You wish Possessed would get back together? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Seriously, that is one band that just should not have broken up. Oh, they were like just ready to break. They had things going against them. They're pretty weak. Drugs, too many drugs, lots of stuff, which is unfortunate. You know, they had the potential. They had a great manager. They had a label who's behind them. Great and following. And they screwed it up. Yeah, great following. They could do no wrong, but they did. They did, away. man. They with just the, did it themselves. Yeah. You gotta stick with it, man. But naturally, there's gonna be times when it sucks. Oh, oh yeah. We've been, we're still going through times that suck. Yeah, but you know, I know that one day we will get the recognition that we deserve. Yeah. And it'll be worth it. What does Chuck's stance on the hard drugs do for his work environment in the heavy metal culture? of the early to mid 1980s. I think that's it's discipline and he has a goal and you know drugs isn't going to get in his way, alcohol isn't going to get in his way. If he needs to calm down, sure, I'll have smoke some weed, but there is a goal, especially with the uh, kind of not bet, but you know the, the agreement that he had with his mom, he cannot get that fucked. Yeah. yeah. And and that's uh I think the agreement he had with his mom really lit a fire under his ass because again, family first always, you know, and he definitely sounds like that. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to let his mom down, and he also don't doesn't want his mom to worry. And he's over here like, "Look, I got a year to get a record contract. I have Nobody's going to mess this up yeah, for yeah. me." Yeah, yeah. I have to focus all of my energy. And look, man, I understand that you know the party scene it's rock and roll bro it's like telling everybody hey look no drugs are drinking in you know, the 80s, in the 80s and you're gonna be yes. a party pooper yeah, yeah yeah exactly they're gonna look at him like oh this high and mighty mother you know look at this guy who does he think he is no, he's so hard to work he's with. So hard to work with no dude it's not the fact that he was hard to work with it's, it's the, the fact discipline. that he had insane he had he had standards and he he had these standards in mind and the only way he was going to be able to move forward and be able to achieve his goals is if he had people that all understood the same standards you know like the 
picture our music as a winding road yeah. with a few hills involved uh -huh. here and there, you know. Uh, hopefully we'll always put out records that people can say, wow, that's something new, that's something fresh, because for us, we're fans of music as well. Mm -hmm. So when you go out and buy a record, you don't want to buy the same record you bought last year. Mm -hmm. You know, so for us, I think each record should be different, uh, or else it's not very fair to the fans or yourself. Other people's dramas will tear you down in a creative avenue. They'll always tear you down. They'll make you less creative. They'll segue away you from focusing. And I think that it's so hard for any artist, especially at this age, to see that and respond that way. And that's something to do with his upbringing. Well, it's something to do with his upbringing. It also has something to do with the fact that Gene and Paul Stanley never drank. Uh, Chuck, I have to tell you that for all your reputation as being like the death metal guru, you're far too nice. <laughs> And too pleasant. <laughs> just to crush any misconceptions of death metalers being cruel to animals or anything. I'm an animal lover. And, uh, yeah, you know, people would probably be surprised when, if they met a lot of bands, you know, especially in this type of music. Because everyone seems extreme and, you know, they put on this image. But, you know, I'm definitely whatever trying to break that, yeah. you know, with people too. It also goes back to his upbringing mm -hmm. because it was such a positive uh, childhood of his that it says a lot about what he is trying to accomplish and how he's trying to accomplish. Chuck Schuldiner, he always thought of his family when it came to everything, touring, and he always needed to be around them. If he left them for a while, it was like, I'm not going away forever. I'm always coming back home. He always, that's one thing when you read about him and you research him is like his focus on and his love to be around his mother, his sister, and his family is like, that's priority over this band. You know, it's like the most important thing to him has always been his family. And he, he's always been really open about if I have to get away from them, it better be worth it or I'm not leaving, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and on top of that too, he wanted to make them proud. You know, you don't want to just drop out of high school and just go and, and become a loser. And that's the thing. Sorry, he, <laughs> didn't and, work and out. here's the thing, and he was probably seeing that happen to how many how many of his friends that he had when he was 16, 17, mm -hmm. even made it to 19, you know? I a mean, lot of burnouts like, in the 80s. Yes. Yeah. In, in, in heavy metal, and rock and roll, because those dreams were real. People were getting them. It wasn't like today where it's like, hey, I'm going to get a guitar and I'm going to go to California and be a millionaire. No, you're not. Back then, hey, you might. Yeah, back in those, back yeah. in the 80s, uh, they were handing out record contracts like candy. It's a drastic name and definitely I think people look at you a certain way, you know, and it's, it's something I guess I just have to tell people about, you know, so they realize that I'm not satanic because I'm in the bank all death and I'm not. Uh, a violent person or anything you know i'm just a person who has a name of a band and is i'm trying to just make everything fit together you know it wouldn't work having a band called uh pink flowers you know it just definitely would contradict what the sound we're creating is now after the summer of 1985 chuck had to make moves in order to find that record deal six months removed from his promise to his mom he would set that stage and he decided to move to the vibrant thrash metal scene of San Francisco, California. And he would form a new lineup of death with bassist Eric Mead and drummer Eric Brecht. And that lineup would release one more EP, the Back from the Dead demo in October, but would disband by December. Chuck, always missing his family, would then return to Florida and put death on hiatus and try the hired gun avenue by joining the Canadian thrash group Slaughter. But again, this would be short-lived due to creative conflicts, and by March, he would return to San Francisco. With death back on and him being the creative force again, this time, he would only hire one member, and that is drummer Chris Reifert. And the two-man band would quickly get on the same page and record the mutilation demo in April of that year.
right after the demo, Chuck decided to return home to Florida to see his family, and Chris would decide to stay in San Francisco, and Chuck had three months left to get signed before he had to keep his promise and return to school. Um, on the new record, uh, a lot of the issues deal with the corrupt side of the music business, people I have to deal with, and every other band out there has to deal with. Um, that makes it very, very difficult to continue doing what we're doing. I've overcome a lot of odds, and uh, I'm happy to still be here. And uh, the people out there that hurt the bands financially and as people, those are the people that, that in the end get shown for what they are. A lot of the new lyrics reflect that what comes around goes around type attitude. You know, I am set in my ways. I'm going to continue doing what I do. It's what I enjoy and what I know best, you know, how to do. If I didn't do this, I don't know what I'd do. Maybe I'd be a cook. I like cooking. <laughs> you know, that's pretty limited. So, uh, I, you know, I plan on continue, continuing to do this and putting the lyrics uh, in the direction of, of reality. You know, like I said, the new lyrics are dealing with the corrupt side of the music business and stuff like that. Chuck's reputation of being someone that was difficult to work with has always been a rumor. But at this stage, do you feel there is some truth to that? I think if you're a rock musician and you treat your partying with responsibility, uh, you are going to burn an incredible amount of bridges. Number one, your standards are incredibly high. You're expecting everybody else to have the same dedication to this band. This and, what, yeah. Yeah. and how old is everyone at this point? He's still in his teenager. Yeah, so yeah, he's a, still a teen. Exactly. No. We're talking about a teenager who had suffered serious loss, who already understands what's important. And you're talking to about a bunch of other kids who think uh, booze and women and, and partying is obviously the most important thing. You're like every teenager? Just like every teenager. <laughs> okay. And that's what I'm saying. It's immaturity versus, versus maturity. maturity. Yeah. So right. it's, it's going to be tough. And of course, people are going to be like, ice so hard to work with like no it's not that it's just he has a goal that he's got to. he's got complete. a goal and again every time anytime you're trying to that's why it makes sense for him to have one member go mm -hmm. yeah let's work together because it's one guy he's obviously the leader the other member's gonna go just tell me what the drum and i'll do it i'll help you write some lyrics on occasion maybe we'll work some shit out but you know obviously he needed to be in charge and in a band you know you do have to have somebody who takes charge it's there has to be somebody who puts on a suit and tie and goes and sits down with the record executives it just has to happen you can't just go out balls out partying and and let that be on your resume when i lost my previous lineup i went directly to friends who i've known for years and it was just the logical choice you know these are people i trusted and that didn't lose faith in me as a person you know they, they didn't judge me while it seemed like the rest of the world was <clears throat> so it, they were luckily highly professional in what they do also so it was a great combination of friends and top-notch musicians and i felt that they could definitely enhance the, the sound of death and i think you guys did nail it with the professionalism like he is taking this like i have to get this signed and i have to get in front of people and it has to be completely pro and if you've ever seen local acts and you see people go on stage drunk or like laughing and it's fun, that's the thing about it. Like this whole time, you know, he's having fun, but it's like in the background where he's like more focused on, no, 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 no. This is my life. My dad got me this electric guitar and I did all this with it. They're supporting him at this point. Everything. They're supporting his dream. He owes it to everybody to come through on that. So it's like the, the weight he probably put on his shoulder for this to succeed you know, and the professionalism, I don't think he's finding it anywhere with anybody. This kind of goes yeah. back to the uh, Charles Bukowski episode we covered here on Rise to Offend. Um, there was a part where John, uh, the, the publisher of Black Sparrow Press, uh, when he made the pitch to Bukowski to write his very first novel, 25 days later, days later, Bukowski presents his very first novel. And he gives it to the guy, and the guy is like blown away. He's like, how did you manage to finish an album? I mean, how did you manage to finish a book? a whole novel in 25 days and Bukowski just responded with fear. That's what this is. This guy has a fear in the back of his head of letting his family down, letting the people that matter down. When you got that going for you, you will do things. You will do, you will go far. It's not your ego. You're worrying about your family and their legacy. You want them to be proud. And when you got that kind of, and when you have that going for you, it's not like a, a toxic 
father situation where it's like, I'm just trying to make you proud, dad. It's not one of those. It's like gratitude. It's, almost. It's grat- yeah, it's gratitude. And it's also letting his mom know, like, look, you bet on me. I'm going to make sure that I'm bet is returned you. to you. Proud on the right terms as yes. well. That's another thing is that proud on the, on the right terms. And can you imagine if Charles Bukowski needed three other guys to write that book? Yeah. Never would happen. <laughs> Maybe one. <laughs> Get a drummer, Bukowski. Get a drummer, Bukowski, yeah. I'm not putting a barrier on our music. Um, I think that is what's wrong these days. There's too many categories. There's yeah. too many barriers. There's too many limitations. We're a metal band. We're out to play metal in whatever form it may come out as. It comes out to me as being brutal, melodic. Uh, there's a lot to offer. Hopefully people look at it as being that way. That's what, what we want. We want to have an album with variety, not one exact format, you know. And uh, I guess in some people's eyes, maybe we're wimping out. I don't think so. The tape trading and all the demos put out by Chuck would finally catch some steam after the mutilation demo that he did with Chris. In 1986, a German independent heavy metal label called Noise would ink a deal with a New York-based record label called Combat Records. In 1985, Combat Records had acts in the United States, including signing Megadeth, releasing their first record, Killing Is My Business, and Business Is Good. Noise represented many groundbreaking European heavy metal bands like Celtic Frost, Halloween, and Canada's Voivod. Combat would be the home of many heavy metal bands in the mid-1980s, and one year after the promise that he made to get signed, Combat would reach out to Chuck and sign Death, based on the mutilation demo tape that he recorded with Chris in 1986. In November of 1986, Chuck and drummer Chris Reifert would reunite and go into the studio to start recording Death's combat record debut album, Scream Bloody Gore. Chuck would have gone back to school and got his GED after a year if he didn't get signed? Or was that just a promise to his family that he was going to extend on? I think he would have. You think he would have quit? I think he would have come through. I don't. Uh, oh. Okay. I, I think he would have. I think he would have at least got the GED. And you then after I mean? that, maybe I, back not. Back to music? Yeah. I, I just <laughs> or think, if he went yeah. to college, he would study music. Like some somehow the, music is going to be around him. I just think that once family is your number one and you do want to make them proud, you are gonna you are gonna stick to your guns. I just think that when that family when that family core is intact, there's people out there that just don't get it. They don't get it. They don't understand what it's like to love somebody so much that you're going to uh, just flat out obey them. They just don't get it. And uh, I think the connection he had with his mom, dad, and sister, especially uh, after you know you, you you lose you lose a son and a brother. Um, you there's, somehow have to like con- yeah, keep that family unit close. There's no, you don't feel comfortable around anybody else. Mm-hmm. You would imagine that the mom would worry when he was gone a lot. Yeah. You would imagine that would be really hard. But she for her. trusted him. But she did. Yeah, she trusted and supported him fully, which has been said many times. Um, and I also feel like uh, this this time frame that I want to just the, the, what I want to say to people is that there's no distractions from what he wants to do. So he can get his GED and do his music. He doesn't have that phone in his pocket distracting him. He doesn't have like what we have in modern times constantly, like a singular focus, this is what I'm doing type of thing with no distractions. It seems like a world away. But that's what it took for a lot of these guys to change music history, to change genres, to not have the distraction, to not have something segue away from your focus. And when you have a family, a lot of times at this time, family is what took you away from that. But they were so supportive of like, go do your thing, you know. 
A lot of families, if you dropped out of high school and said, I'm taking a guitar, dude, they're be not going to be the way they'd be a rough. They wouldn't be supportive at all. But yeah. he had the opposite uh, opposite effect. They trusted him, like you said, because of probably his maturity that he showed. And the way I believe he's looking at that band and the way I believe he is using this energy to keep moving forward is, uh, you know, death wasn't just his band. It was his family's band as well. And he's doing it for them and he's doing it for their name. And we already talked about his brother, but it's not just his brother. It's everybody else that lost him. We did six weeks of touring, and then uh, the financial part of things completely fell apart due to uh, people mismanaging uh, our funds, things not being paid, a lot of things. It was a nightmare financially. Tour-wise, is great. The audiences were great. People really, um, you know, they accepted things, and it was, it was fantastic on that level. But financially, it's a disaster, and you cannot tour without... Funds. You know, we do not make millions. This is not a big, big, big money-making thing. Now, recording the album had its issues, and although the recording started in November of 1986 in Florida, the label would not accept the product and had the band fly out to Los Angeles to re-record the entire record with producer Randy Burns. And the component would give the birth to what many argue to be the first true death metal album. Now with tape trading scene and other acts, the first true death metal vocals always has been traditionally gone to Jeff Becerra, a possessed. Someone that Chuck has covered in, in future albums and, and at that time. So the first death metal vocals always kind of went to him. But the first band to get signed and properly put out what the genre would be at a starting point is universally seen as Death's Scream Bloody Gore. <laughs> the album would start the death metal trend with songs about horror films like Evil Dead, Reanimator, and the underground films of Italian director Lucio Fulci, like The Beyond, Zombie, and The City of the Living Dead. The artwork would be by the 80s metal artist Edward Repka, the in-demand artist of that time, and would also encompass a package and sound unlike anything for that time frame. After the two recording sessions, Combat would finally release the album on May 25th, 1987, just two weeks after Chuck's 20th birthday. His sacrifice since the age of 13 would come to fruition and death would be on the map, changing the musical landscape of the underground metal scene forever.
The road to scream bloody gore was a bumpy one. But now that it is released, what do you think Chuck fears now? How are you going to be able to top it? How are you going to be able to top that kind of creativity? How are you going to be able to make something else that is original that also ties in to the thing that you made that was already original? It's that's what happens when you're a groundbreaking artist. It's like it is you are figuring out the sound just like everybody else is. There's really no place that you can turn. There's yeah, going like, to be a lot of pressure on you. What else can I do to experiment? How could yeah, like you said, like how can I make it better? And especially metal too. Uh <laughs> Metal, punk rock, anything hard, you know, your crowd is just going to be so vicious and he's going to be hard on himself, too. He's like, well, that's, you know, if you if you experiment a little too much outside of death, you know, oh, you sell out. I mean, that's pretty much what he's dealing with. So there is a lot of pressure when you're bringing something new to the table. When you're a leader, people expect you to lead. They expect everything to be like something. I didn't see that coming. Only you can do that. When you start your legacy off like he did with Scream Bloody Gore, and he gave a blueprint for, I mean, death metal lyrics from today's acts like Aborted to whatever, you know, they're singing about the same horror films that he was writing about on this record, you know? Um, And and you kind of just look at that, then you have to be able to keep stepping upward and upward and not give yourself limitations. But at, at this stage, I don't know if he was worried about that. I really think, well, yeah, he probably was actually. Cause like I said, the legacy, all that, that's his family, you know, you know, and on top of that too, I mean, the response he was getting from his peers. I mean, when you play something amazing or you do something amazing for your peers, they're going to be like, all right, where's it? more, 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 give me more. And he's like, oh fuck. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like how, how quick do I have to, you know, get this out? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, what I'm saying. It's like the pressure. The, the pressure is on and, and it takes his peers, his peers look at them and be like, fuck, we're way behind. Yeah. Like we are look, look, look where Chuck's at. Fuck. We're over here doing death metal but god damn it's not there and dude and then you realize oh shit that is special that is special and on top of that chuck's way up here but everybody knows getting to the top that's fun staying on top jesus christ what a nightmare you you ever think why like why florida why tampa kind of it's bizarre i've no uh i cannot back uh that up with a proper answer i think uh i don't know Maybe it's the oranges or, I don't know, the mosquitoes or something. I don't know. Now, the Florida death metal scene would start to become a movement across the state with record labels looking to sign bands and Chuck would have to mature into much more and not stay comfortable to shake the world of heavy metal for years to come. Brandon Gooch Hahn on Twitter and Instagram at your buddy Gooch. Jocelyn Sharp on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Jocelyn Sharp. TikTok at The Wizard of Jaws. Sylvia Alvarado on Twitter and Instagram at It's the Sylvia. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Rise to Offend and on Instagram at Rise to Offend Official. And make sure to listen to us every Monday on the Metal Sucks podcast on MetalSucks.net. Email us comments, questions, errors we may have made, or any figure you would like us to cover, rise to offend at gmail.com. Discover the life and work of Chuck Schuldiner. Go to emptywords.org for in-depth interviews, content through his life and career. Discover the entire catalog of his band Death and Control Denied, available in deluxe edition formats, merch, and apparel at store.relapse.com and check out the 2018 documentary Death by Metal available to purchase through online stores 
All content on this show is copyrighted by its owners. Next week, we are doing part two of three on Chuck Schuldiner. Until next week, repeat offenders. RTO Podcast, signing off.